For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. The household of faith. Jude 1.18 says this, that they were saying to you in the last days there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. We're in a time that mockers are increasing. We, we see people slandering God, slandering one another. They have no respect, no reverence for anything. And God says, again in our text today, do not be deceived. And he warns them, God will not be mocked. Anyone today want to mock God? The consequences of that, severe. People do not understand that their actions, their attitudes in a normal conversation sometimes are mocking a holy God. Now that word, again, deceived, is primary meaning to be led astray. We've talked about apostasy. Apostasy is a falling away, a falling away from the the truth of God's word, who God says he is and what God is going to do. Well, the apostle has been calling the Galatians who were brought into the, the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, he said he was amazed at so quickly deserting him or the gospel for a gospel that's not true. It's really deserting him. When you know the truth and you turn away from it, you are mocking God. Your actions are saying, God, I do not believe you. You are not going to judge. You're not going to come back. You're not going to tell me what to do. And there's going to be consequences and people are deceiving themselves. They're deceiving themselves and deceiving others. That's what false teachers do. They deceive themselves and deceive others. Galatians 3.1, when he was speaking to the Galatians, the letter, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. They were denying even the crucifixion. God will not be mocked. Just as there was in the early church, these false teachers, and and there was a great danger of the people just being drawn away because they had itching ears. To be a prophet in the Old Testament, go back and, and think for a second, it was not a popular job if they were a prophet of God because the message that they gave was always one. God is unhappy with your actions. Unless you change, unless you repent, judgment is coming. You know the message is still the same today? But a prophet of God would be faithful and his main desire was to communicate what God had said to them. But the false teachers, they come in with a, another message, a mother of a different kind. They deny oftentimes Jesus Christ and who he is. Now these false teachers, again, they, they claim to teach the word of God in the name of God. Second Timothy 3.13 describes them. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, 
deceiving and being deceived. You know, sometimes people can be deceived so easy if they do not know the word of God. Unless you get in the word of God and hide it in your heart. Because when someone is speaking, you're going to recognize something's wrong with this picture. You know, there's just something wrong when you hear something on the radio. It doesn't line up. Even if you can't find the exact verse, you know there's something wrong. The Holy Spirit gives you this check. Matthew 24, 24 says, for false Christ False prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Again, notice they are false Christ, false prophets, claiming to be Christ, claiming to be the Messiah. The amount of Messiahs in the world today are more than ever before claiming to be the Messiah, leading people astray. It doesn't matter what culture, they all have them. It was years ago, I remember, there was a guy who had a a poster. He put these posters, every telephone pole around town. He claimed to be the Messiah in Hilo. Did you know you had a Messiah here? Yeah, well, according to him, he was the Messiah. Notice again that verse, false Christ, false prophets, they will arise. They will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead. That's what the false Christ, that's what the false prophets do, to mislead. Oftentimes they're just drawing people after themselves. And it's for this reason that we need to be careful. We need to be consistently going through the word of God. We need to be going through the full counsel of God's word because then you'll be able to discern what is of God and what is not of God. But it's the untaught believer, the the person who has just been born again. If they do not get in a church, they do not get with an older brother, an older sister to disciple them, they can be drawn away very easily. In fact, that's who the cults look for. They prey, if you remember, P-R-E-Y, on those who have just come to the Lord. They, they have excitement, they have a zeal, but they do not have the knowledge. And, and they can tell a story really good. They can tell you, take the Bible and tell you this is what it means, but it doesn't mean that. They take it out of context and, and they prey upon the church. And sadly, it's because we, the body of Christ, are guilty, not coming alongside, not helping them grow. We're not willing to deny ourselves and give up our time and spend time to help someone grow and mature and invest in their lives. And that's what God has called you and me to do. And that's what Paul's doing. He's he's pouring into the lives of, of these people here. Now, he or she doesn't know how to feed themselves when they first become a believer. That's why it's important to come alongside them to disciple them, to teach them how to feed themselves, teach them to be dependent upon God, to teach them how easy it is to to stumble and fall, to warn them uh, again of these false teachers and to teach them to be a Berean, to examine what people say and look and see if it lines up with the very word of God. Well, again, they don't know how to put on the armor of God. They don't even understand that there's an armor but these are things that you and I are to share and teach with them. John eight forty four says this, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And whatever he speaks, speaks a lie and he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father 
of lies. You know, there are many people worshiping, they believe worshiping God, but are really worshiping Satan. They're worshiping another truth, another gospel. They're being deceived. And I don't believe, honestly, someone who has been in the church has heard the word year after year can ever be deceived unless they've never been born again. And then they want to be deceived. It's what the Bible talks about, itching ears. Revelation 12, 9 says this, and the great dragon referred to Satan was thrown down. The serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. His angels were thrown down with him. Satan deceives the whole world. You know, within the body of Christ, there's only a remnant. From cover to cover, when you're reading, remember there's only a remnant. A remnant is a small amount of people. Now, it may be a large amount when you consider all the time that man has been on earth, yet it's a small amount in light of all those who profess to believe and those that say they don't even believe. It is a very, very tiny amount, those who know the truth, and it's the truth that will set them free. Notice again, John 10 and 10 and 11, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the servants of the devil do those same things. They come to kill, steal, and destroy. They come to rob you of your identity, who you are in Christ. They come to destroy the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Well, the contrast to that, again, in verse 11, it says, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And that's what he's done. He laid down his life. He willingly went to the cross for you and me. And that's why it, that Paul is speaking so boldly, so strongly, because he, he sees, again, the enemy coming with these temptations, trying to seduce them, and it's so easy for those young people that are not ground to be drawn away. And what Paul's doing is he's fighting for them, that they would see the truth. And Jeremiah warns in 17.9, the heart is more deceitful above all things who can know it? It's desperately sick. Who can understand it in, in the new American standard? You know, that means every one of our hearts, look at that verse again, the heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, that's every one of our hearts. It's so easy to be deceived if we recognize this, and that's what God is warning them, warning you and me. We need to test and prove all things and know it's of God and it's so important. Obadiah 1.3, it says, the arrogance of your heart has deceived you. The arrogance of your heart, the pride. I'm sure that everyone here is, if they were honest with themselves, there's been a time in their life when they've been wrong, but they just didn't want to admit they're wrong. 
Their pride prevented them from saying, you know, I was wrong. And they continued to go down that same path. They continued to suffer the consequences of those decisions they made. Well, again, the the idea is here that it's so easy to be deceived, but also to deceive ourselves because our heart is wickedly deceitful above all things. Who could know it? Verse John 1.8 says, but if we say that we have no sin and we're deceiving ourselves, the truth is not in us. Because all of us sin, and that's why, again, that Jesus Christ has made a profession, a provision for you and me, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Again, James 1.22 goes on, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers that delude themselves. James speaking from a man's point of view, prove it. Let the world see that you're really a believer. Just, again, don't be a hearer. Be a doer. If you're not, you, you could be deluding yourself, deceiving yourself. There are times when believers fail to acknowledge the, really the reality, the seriousness of their sin in their life. Perhaps you know someone who's an alcoholic, a drug addict, and they'll say, well, I'm not really a drug addict. I just do drugs, again, you know, just recreational. Or alcohol, I just socially drink. But they have to do either one or the other. And before you know it, they've lost their home, lost their families, lost their jobs. Perpetually, they've deceived themselves. God says it's not mocked. He's made these laws and there's gonna be consequences. Consequences if we do not follow. Well, the mocking of God in in 1 John 1.10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. You know, when you say you do not have sin, you're calling God a liar. You're mocking God. God, you don't know what you're saying. When I decide that I am wiser than God, I know better than God, I am mocking God. And when you mock God, you know what? There's gonna be consequences. Consequences. Again, the word mock literally means to to kind of turn up your nose. You've seen people that are proud, they kind of turn up their nose, turn away. You, You watch the eyes, they react. Sometimes even in a message or sometimes between a husband and wife or, or certainly when you're talking to your teenage kids, if you remember, they, they give you that look like, yeah, you really know. But just as those kids act, that's how we have acted with God. We need to confess and repent and, and change. You know, when a person becomes a believer, they're not immune from sin. All sin. And the wages of sin is death. Well, look with me, and and again in verse seven, we're gonna see the divine law stated. It says, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. In a a literal sense, in a physical sense, you know, just in agriculture, if you plant pansy seeds, you're gonna end up with pansies. You don't plant pansy seeds and get marigolds unless marigold seeds are mixed in there. When I used to grow flowers commercially, I I grew close to 250,000 four-inch, again, pansies every year. And I'd sow those seeds, and every single one was a pansy. What you sow, you will reap in a physical sense, and that's true in the spiritual. 
Just as self-evident it is with the physical, it is that way in the spiritual. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap to the flesh. There's no exceptions. Whatever you plant, it will come about. Whatever he sows, he will also reap. Think back of your kids. You know, I bet every one of your kids, they have your good traits. Would you agree with that? You look at your kids and you see the good things in you, right? It just blesses your heart. But what about those bad things? How many things have you sown into their life? Those things that you modeled and you've done before and you see it and now they're reaping the consequences of your sowing but also their own sowing. Oftentimes when you see a person that goes from drama to drama to drama, from crisis to crisis to crisis, it's a result of the family, where they came from, the learned behaviors, the parents' choices, the environment. They still have to make their own choice. But oftentimes what you've sowed into that family, the good and bad, they will reap. And oftentimes they don't change until they realize they need to change. So the principle, whether it be physical or moral, spiritual, it's the same. What you sow, you'll reap. Well, again, there's really no question about God's warning. In fact, look with me in Job 4.8. According to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity, those who plow iniquity are those who sow a, tr- or sow a troubled harvest. Again, if you, if, you sow, if you sow anger, what are you going to get? You're going to sow bitterness, what are you going to get? If you sow love, what are you going to get? My wife was working at a job one time, and, and one of the things she learned, the, the scripture became so real, so true to her. It's a kind word turns away wrath. You sow kindness, and wrath turns away, and you get kindness back. If somebody's angered, mad, wanting to dump on you, you're just kind to them. You just keep being apologetic and humble. What are you sowing in this life? Are you sowing spiritually? Are you sowing, are you sowing to the flesh, carnality, anger, bitterness, division, discord? Proverbs eleven eighteen says, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. And that, again, the wicked earn their deceptive wages. They're reaping what they sow. But again, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. You, you reap what you sow. So often, again, the, the character of the person's life is a product of the seeds that have been sown into the life. Your life affects the people around you. Your kids, your grandkids, your workplace, What are you sowing in the lives of people? God's warning. Proverbs 22, 6, and speaking of children, train up your child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. You know, I love that. I can hang on to that. I can show that to a parent. If they've raised their kids, if they have made God their priority of their life, if they sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, they can be assured that their kids will be walking with the Lord when they're old. Hang on, these are are promises. God says when this happens, this is what's going to happen. Well, 
look with me a contrast in Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. You ever have your sin to come back and kind of nip you in the rear? So many times it's come back when I was young before I was a believer and it always bit me. You can't get away from it. In fact, you may have done something 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and in some ways it comes back to haunt you. It's a fact. What you sow, you will reap. The law of sowing and reaping, it, it's, it's not contradictory by really the grace of God. But what happens is when, when again, when Jesus Christ sows a seed sows his perfect righteousness into this world through you and through me, then we can reap eternal life when we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. It fulfills the law. The law of righteousness, the law of truth. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ that we trust and we believe in him. 2 Corinthians 7.10 you know it well, I'm sure. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Again, look at that verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret. It's a godly sorrow that leads a person to repentance. Have you ever really stopped and, and prayed, God, I want that godly sorrow that leads me to repentance. Do you struggle with sin again and again and again, temptation after temptation, and like a dog returning to his vomit? Pray that God will give you this godly sorrow. Because as you begin to trust him, you so spiritually, you're trusting in the Lord, the Lord, you will reap the benefits. Again, he's given us 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You know, when you sin against God, he, he wipes it away. When you confess, when you repent, he wipes it away. So nothing hinders that relationship. Look with me in verse eight. We see the divine law explained. For the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, will from the spirit reap eternal life. There's two fields. All of us here are sowers. All of You will sow in one field, that's the field of the flesh, or you'll, again, sow in the field of the spirit. You'll sow the good seed or you'll sow the bad seed. When a person sows to the flesh, it refers to really the believer's uncleansed, understand this, humanness. Still inside you is this, this again, unredeemed body at this point. Now, the Spirit of God is in you, but there's this battle, you know, that goes on inside you. And it's in this part when you sow, you're sowing to these fleshly, carnal desires, to the emotions, to the feelings. This body is waiting to be redeemed, to re looking for that time of glorification, but when you sow to the flesh, your body suffers the consequences. It could be, for example, a person who, is, who has become an alcoholic and their body is being destroyed, or drugs, whatever it may be, working too much, working themselves in the ground. And God wants us to sow spiritually, and then sowing spiritually sometimes is just sitting and being still and, and know that he is God. 
Now, when you sow to the flesh, it's, it's selfishness. It always results in selfishness. It's always in, in fleshly desires. And it's always contrary to everything that the Spirit is, everything that, that God would glorify God. Romans seven eighteen. Paul understood that because he says, for I know there's nothing good that dwells in me. That is, in my flesh, he's saying, for, the, for, the, for though the spirit is willing, my flesh is weak. Or in this case, in the American, New American Standard, for, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. You know that struggle. And Paul's saying, hey, look, there's nothing good in me. What he's doing is yielding to his evil desires instead of letting the spirit subdue it. Again, he submits to the passions when he's sowing to the flesh. Romans 6.23 makes it clear, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, 1 Corinthians, again, 11.30 is always kind of a hard one for people. And notice what it says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of them sleep. You know, again, what it's talking about here, while, while sin, there, there's wages of sin that leads to death, but sometimes God takes people home early. Sometimes it's an act of mercy. But sometimes when people are, are believers, they've really been born again, but they're weak and keep submitting to the passions, you know what? And they continue to sin and they let sin reign in their lives then they're going to suffer the consequences of those choices. They're, they're sick. And that's what's happening here. It's God here in this case. Is, of course, it was, they were abusing the communion table, so God was disciplining them. And how's God discipline us? He doesn't always send a judgment upon us. It's just that physical law. What you sow, you'll reap. You sow anger, pretty soon people don't want to hang out with you, do they? If they're gossiping all the time, you don't want you, you get tired of it. You don't want to be there. You can't eat this, can't do this. You just pull away, and pretty soon they become more bitter. I like what John Stott wrote, a British evangelical leader. He says, Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to nurse a grievance, to entertain any impure fantasy, wallow in any self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in a bad company of those who insidious influence, we know that we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time that we read a pornographic literature, every time that we take a risk that strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. People are deceiving themselves day in and day out, praising God, but living a different lifestyle, a hypocritical lifestyle. They're sowing to the flesh. And the wages of sin as death. And if they continue in that habitual lifestyle, they will not enter the kingdom of God. But when you sow to the Spirit, there's again that fruit of the Spirit, if you remember. The fruit of the Spirit is what? 
love. Stop. Singular, it's love. And all those things that follow joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. This is what love looks like. Love is full of joy. Love brings peace. Love is patient. Love demonstrates kindness and goodness and its faithfulness and its gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. To sow to the Spirit is, is the same as really to walk in the Spirit. To sow to the Spirit means that a person is walking in the Spirit, continually moving forward in Christ, seeking first the kingdom of God and, and God's righteousness, not their own righteousness. Please understand that. It's also being led by the Spirit. It's really following Christ, going the places that, that Christ goes, doing the things that Christ would have you do. It's also being filled with the Spirit. And it's not like taking a picture and pouring it, but that idea of filled is controlled by the Spirit. Surrendered life, allowing God to be in control of your life. Be not drunk under the influence of something else. Be not drunk, but be filled or controlled by the Spirit. He contrasted to, to again, something else controlling. The, the Spirit wants to control your life. He wants to be in the driver's seat. He wants to direct you. He wants you to experience the, the abundant life that's available in Christ. John eight thirty one says this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples or disciples of mine. Well, what happens is when a person's in the spirit, he does continue in the word of God. And in John 15, notice again in verse seven, it says, you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, the person who is in the spirit abides in Christ. In Romans 12, one and two, just look, and I'm gonna point some things out. That person who is in the spirit, he presents his body as a living, holy sacrifice. He does not conform or allow his body, his life to be conformed to this world, but his mind, the one that's in the spirit, is having his mind, again, transformed in the renewing of his mind. He proves the will of God is because he's just walking in the spirit. He's just surrendered control to God. See, when we walk in the Spirit, it's a surrendered life, and in the, the Spirit then brings eternal life. Eternal life, and not meaning just length of time, a quality of life. A quality of life. That means even in the most difficult situation, God wants you to have this quality of life knowing that he's on the throne. No matter what you're going through, he's coming for you. He's going to provide for you. You don't need to worry or fret because, again, he's in control. No matter what you've done in the past, uh, your sin, God's still on the throne. God understands and God knows your heart. And I'm so thankful that God knows my heart. There's sometimes I, I didn't want him to know my heart. But think about David. 
Think about King David when he sinned with Bathsheba, if you remember. And he killed her husband or had him killed. Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. David was suffering the consequences of his sin, but David knew all he needed to do is turn back to God. And here's this God that is merciful and this God is a forgiving God and God that would fill him with joy, would fill him with peace. God would sustain him with a willing spirit. Maybe you've drifted, maybe you've fallen, maybe you have struggles and God's wanting to sustain you. He's the keeper of your soul. Well, there's a divine law fulfilled. Look with me in verse nine. Let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. We're to serve and tell others about Jesus. We're to bring joy into people's life. We're to be kind and caring and tender. Seize the opportunities that God gives but not focus upon that, that weariness, that, that tiredness. And, and sometimes we, we want to see things happen. We get tired. I, I've been doing the right things. I've been doing the right thing. But nothing happens. You know that frustration? I've done all the right things with my kids. I've done all the right things at the work. And nobody recognizes. And we just want to quit. And the Lord is sometimes, Lord, I, I, I've done all this. It's been years. And, and, and I just... I just don't get it. It seems like I've missed it. I'm just going to quit. It's always too soon to quit. God has a new season, a fresh work, something exciting, more than you could ever imagine. God wants to save her on top of it, and he wants to save you from yourself, from getting weary and getting tired. Paul knew it, if anybody Paul had more problems, more frustrations, more persecutions um, in the end of his life than in the beginning of his life. He starts well, and yeah, there were things happening, but man, it just got worse and worse, more difficult and more difficult, and he's the one that's writing these things. John Puritan, a saint, uh, um, they call him the Saint John Brown, wrote, many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. It's easy to become tired of sowing and, and be anxious for the harvest. Every one of us, you know, you're doing the right thing and, and you want to see, you want to see, you want to see. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And I think it's sometimes the best thing when we don't see. Because then sometimes these things would go to our head. Because every one of us struggle with pride. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. God knows what you're doing. God knows that when you're on your knees and you're praying, when you're giving to him in his missions or whatever you're doing, serving in a homeless ministry, God knows what you're going through. He knows your heart. He knows the struggle. And all we need to do is turn to him and he'll strengthen us and he'll, he'll lift us up. And, and I just really love Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. Look with me. It says, therefore, since we have, have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance 
the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race which is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against him so that you will not grow weary and losing heart. You know what this setting is? Again, when he talks about this cloud of witness, remember the the world was crazy about sports at that time. And what he's seeing is, this is, again, he's just gone through this hall of faith. All these men of faith. And he's, he's describing a setting that is like bleachers at a big football game, like at Aloha Stadium. And, and they're just full of these people that have gone before and they're cheering you on and cheering me on. And boy, that goes a long ways, doesn't it, when people are saying, you know what, I know God's gonna work, I know, and you're just, he's just moving and just encouraging and just empowering us to go on. I need that encouragement sometimes because it it does become easy to get weary and tired, doesn't it? Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. It just doesn't seem. You prayed for somebody all your life and you haven't seen him come to the Lord. I believe personally, if you pray for a friend, a family member all your life and God hasn't changed your heart, that maybe at that last moment they receive the Lord, you're gonna see him in heaven because God has promised to give you the desire of your heart. Don't let go of those desires. God wishes that none perish, all come to that saving knowledge of him. Second John 1, 8 says this, watch yourselves that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you receive a full reward. He's not talking about losing of salvation, no, no. He's not saying that. But sometimes you can, you can just serve the Lord and, and, and you know what, it just, I give up, I quit. And I think every one of us here probably at some point have, have said that. And, and what it is is there's rewards. Now you may not be doing for rewards, but God knows. God has prepared good works for you and me before the foundation of the world because he wants to, to bless us, to reward us. Acts 20, 24 says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of grace of God. How do you do this? This is what Paul did. Look what he says again. I do not consider my life any account as dear to myself. What is he doing? He's really denying himself. He would say elsewhere, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who is in me. This life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Our Lord and King is preparing you and me to be with him all eternity. It's about us serving him and being a part of the work of seeing people come into the kingdom. And the only way that you and I can go through is really begin by denying ourselves. Recognizing this life is not my own. That we're bond servants. A bond servant has no rights. You guys, I'm sorry. If you're a bondservant of God, you have no rights. We check into the master each day. What is it you want for me today? And when we come to that point, we experience the fullness of joy. We experience those divine appointments he has for us. We hear him clearly. He gives us assurance that we're in that right track. First Thessalonians 2.19 says this, 
For who is our hope, our joy, our crown, our exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at coming? Paul was talking to the Thessalonians. Hey, you're my reward. Just to see someone come into the kingdom. Just to see someone grow. The greatest joy for any pastor, any teacher, anyone that is disciple is to see someone's life come in upside down and turn right side up. Come in not knowing Jesus Christ, but when they go out, they love him and they adore him and they're telling someone else about it. It's like your children is is to raise them up and, and to see them serving, to see these two young men, remembering them when they're really, really young, and to see them growing up and still walking with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Because their parents had taken them to church and made a priority. The parents modeled before them that God is first in my life. And you see it. Now it's true that one child might not respond. It may take a long time before they come back. But you know what? God's still on the throne. Well, look with me in verse 10. We see the divine law applied. So then, while we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. He gives us the final principle in, in this principle of sowing and reaping. It's given to, to guide us in our steps. Well, first of all, there's opportunities. You and I, every day, have opportunities. Whether you see it or not, it's up to you. Because God gives you an opportunity to magnify his name, to glorify his name, to minister to someone. It might be to to give to a homeless person. It might be whatever God calls to go to the hospital. There are opportunities laid before you each and every day. So look again when he says, so then while we have an opportunity, that's interesting, that word opportunity though, It's not just that individual opportunity I'm talking about, but that opportunity, it's a fixed, distinct time is what that means, that opportunity. And that distinct time, that fixed time, is our lifetime. Because God gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and our life is likened to a vapor. We're here today gone tomorrow. You may not have another chance to share the faith with someone else. You may not have time to say, I'm going to be a friend with that, try and become a friend with them the next five years and then I'll tell them about the gospel. This may be the last time on this distinct, fixed time that we are to recognize that God has given us this time and what are we gonna do with this time? Because you don't know when you leave this place whether you have another day or not. It may be the last time to to tell someone that you love them. I've done a lot of funerals. And I've heard people weeping and crying if I'd only told them I loved them, if I'd only told them I forgave them. This is all you've got. This is what he's talking about. This is the opportunity that comes. It speaks of this earthly presence, this time that we have now, this existence now, and let us do it. Let's be active and let's work effectively and let's do it diligently because this is all we got. This is all we got. 
you might have a neighbor that you love and you've never told the gospel. Now there's something we'll never let you tell them, but will you seize that opportunity? And then if they refuse, then you live that before them, that they see it. So it involves seizing every moment that God gives you. There, there are special divine moments laid before you. Who do you do it to? First of all, no, let us do it to all people. All people. Is there anyone exempt? No, it says all. That means unbelievers. That meant Gentiles to them as well. That means Muslims if they're in their life. That means every single culture that you come, it might mean, again, a Japanese tour group, a Chinese tour group sharing those tracks. Maybe you can't communicate. I've just been able to give tracks out. And they, they look at me. They know I can't speak Chinese and I've given out the tracks. They look at me and they take it and they read it. God will give you these opportunities. What will you do with them? Will you hear those words, good and faithful servant? Now again, it says, let us do good to all people. The good is not, uh, it's not qualified by, well, they're ready, or they're really good people, or they're really bad people. I'm not gonna talk, no, no. It's all people. I like 1 Peter 2.15. For such is the will of God, Peter said, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of the foolish people. You know, when you do the right thing, you're loving, you're kind, you're sharing, it, it oftentimes will shut the mouth of an unbelieving, mocking people. Let's not play with them. Let's not argue with them. Let's do the right thing. It hinders their criticism because they see you doing those right things. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says, in all things show yourselves to be example of good deeds with purity of doctrine, dignified, sound of speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame at having nothing bad to say about us. You know, one of the most important things is when you're wrong, say you're wrong. I was wrong, I shouldn't have said, I shouldn't have done. That's not what Christians do. And they're speechless. That's what it's talking about, something like that. Your very actions can impact someone for eternity. They could have heard the gospel again and again and again, but now they see the gospel lived out and it impacts them for eternity. Titus 3.8 goes on. This is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. See, these things are good and profitable for all men. Again, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good works. This is the good works he's prepared before the foundation of the world. The good works for Dave was gonna be different than Jamian, different than me, but will we be faithful when God gives us these opportunities? And then he goes on, especially to those of the household of faith, just for you to continue in your faith is an example to another believer. When you're here, it's encouragement to me. First John three fourteen says this, we know, notice what he says, we know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. 
the importance of, of really getting to know one another, to tear down the walls, pray, encourage, and build one another up. See, this type of sowing makes joyful sowing. But sometimes we don't always see it until we get down the road. The way that you and I treat each other can be the greatest attraction to an unbelieving world that mocks God. When the world sees that we're seeking to be loving and kind and compassionate and truly concerned about them, that is something that will draw them to Christ. They'll hear it, maybe from you, maybe from someone else, but maybe they heard it someone else and they see it in you. One sows, one reaps. We are one in Christ. Amen? Please stand with me. Father, thank you that you allow us to stand before you the only true God, a loving, compassionate God, a God who cares and God that knows the good and the bad and the ugly, but you still love us with that unfailing love. That when we fall, you pick up the pieces, you brush us off, you get us down the road. You never tell us, I told you so. You just say and go and sin no more. Help us to live as you live. Help us to really model to those around us who we know and what we believe. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.